Okay, if you were to ask people, hey, do you know a story where there's a talking donkey? They'd say, yeah, Shrek. I've seen the movie. Well, I want to tell you about another story that has nothing to do with Shrek. It's written long before. It's in the Bible. There's a talking donkey in it as well. And it's really a story about a wayward prophet who was hired to curse God's people, and God wouldn't let him because God protects his people. And so today we're going to be talking about how the Israelites learned to count on God's protection as part of this series, as a wrap-up to our series entitled Counting on God. It's a story from the book of Numbers, and you're going to leave here today greatly encouraged. Would you have a word of prayer with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about a real story about a real talking donkey. Lord, I thank you that um, you watch over us. You always have and you always will. And Heavenly Father, I pray that today you'd convince us of these things, of your great love and of your mighty protection. I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way. In the name of Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Well, if you haven't been with us uh, as part of this series that we've done on Numbers entitled Counting on God, Numbers is a book in the Old Testament where we follow the journey of the Israelites when they left Egypt, where they'd been in slavery for hundreds of years, and made their way to the Promised Land. Throughout the series, we had a map here with the Sinai Peninsula on it. Uh, the Israelites started out in Egypt over here. They crossed the Red Sea. They went down to Mount Sinai, and Moses was given the Ten Commandments, and they made a, a tabernacle, a portable temple. They made their way on up to the edge of the Promised Land. The Promised Land is here in the land of Israel. That was the land God wanted to give them. When they got up here close to the border, they sent in some spies, and they came back with a report. There were strong, warlike people who were much taller and much bigger, and they, the people were afraid of the giants in the land, and so they refused to go in, and God allowed a whole generation to die out. So they wandered in the wilderness of Paran here for 40 years. Finally, they went around the land of Moab, and they ended up across from the city of Jericho next to a place called Mount Nebo here. This is where the story is going to take place. This is the finish line. They've been wandering for 40 years. They're just across the river from the promised land, they're about to go in. And you wonder, could anything trip them up? Um, yeah. There's one more hurdle, and today you're going to hear about it. But it's amazing because God was protecting them, and all they had to do was stick close to him. So this brings us to point one on your outline. There was a king named Balak. If you could keep that map up there. Sorry, you guys are too quick for me. Okay, Balak was the king of this country called Moab. The Moabites were descendants of Abraham, just like the Israelites were. Abraham had a nephew, Lot, and one of Lot's sons. This is where Moab all comes from. Those are descendants from Lot. And so God had ordered his people to go around Moab, and they weren't to have a, pick a fight with them, and they weren't to fight over anything. Well, the king of Moab didn't realize this, and when he saw all the Israelites, or over two million of them, camped across the river from Jericho, he freaked out. In fact, this is point one. Balak, the king of Moab, wanted to pay Balaam, a corrupt prophet, to get God to curse his people. He realized that God was blessing these people, and he was scared to death of them. This is from Numbers 22. Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said, This mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, the king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, the son of Beor, who was living near the Euphrates River. His message said, look, a vast horde of people have arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they're threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me, because they are too powerful for me. 
Then perhaps I'll be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. And so he's going to send messengers to go get this prophet to come and get God to curse his people. Now, Balak, this king, realized there was a spiritual component to this. I mean, you could see it because there was a pillar of cloud that guided the Israelites. They watched them move, and this pillar of cloud went ahead of them. And at night, it lit up. It lit up their whole camp. And every morning, the people go and gather this food that just appeared on the ground. They'd heard the stories about the parting of the Red Sea. They'd heard about all the plagues that were sent upon Egypt, and they knew nobody could stand against them. And so Balak goes, hey, if we're going to have any chance at defeating these people, i got to get somebody who can put a curse on these people, put a whammy on them. And there was a well-known guy by the name of Balaam who was a prophet, but he was a prophet for hire. And so he went to go and send, uh, he sent some messengers to get him. So they went to Balaam, and they delivered Balak's message to him. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning, I'll tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So that night, God told Balaam, don't go with them. You're not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. So the next morning, Balaam got up, told Balak's officials, go on home. Lord uh, will not let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to King Balak and reported, Balaam's refused to come with us. Now, we'll see a little. This story gets a lot more intriguing as we go, but Balaam starts out pretty good. He goes, "Now nah, the Lord told me not to go with you, so I can't go. Bye. Here's a life application. God protects his people from curses. God protects his people from curses. If you're wondering, and many people do, I have people that come and see me every so often about they feel like God, uh, somebody is attacking them and they, want, they need God's protection. And I go, well, okay, well, let me give you some scriptures to make sure you understand this. You and I don't need to be afraid of people putting whammies or hexes or curses on us. If we are under the Lord's protection, we have nothing to be afraid of. When you and I have a right relationship with Jesus, the Lord himself is our defender. I mean, listen to this verse from Isaiah 54, 17. If you've never marked this in your Bible, mark it. Do so. I share this with people all the time. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. I mean, think how wonderful this is. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, by the way, and he shares that when we are rightly related to God, there is nothing in the world that can separate us from his love. Angels can't, demons can't, the very powers of hell can't touch us. But that's why it's so important to have a right relationship with him. In fact, he wraps up his whole discussion on this in Romans 8 and verse 31. He says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Would you read that out loud with me, please? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And I love praying with people about this. But I meet people, they are trapped in superstition. I mean, somebody will open an umbrella indoors and they'll go, oh, you weren't afraid to do that? I mean, I'm, I had a mirror that I took out of uh, our house and I was discussing with a friend. It was an old mirror and I couldn't fit it in the garbage thing, so I smashed it up and put it in a bag. And he said, you weren't afraid to break a mirror? And I go, well, no, I was wearing glasses and work gloves. And he goes, well, no, I mean, it's going to bring you bad luck. And I go, well, there was that black cat. No, uh, come on. I was sitting there going, come on now. And he said, well, you know. And I was going, no, I mean, let's not even discuss this. We are Christians when we, as a Christian, and we were both Christians, like as a Christian, 
I don't need to be afraid of these things. The Lord himself protects me. I want us to read this, one more, this question one more time. If God is for us, who can be against us? Ever. Y'all, we have to trust in this. This is what is so good about coming to the Lord. I mean, he gives us eternal life. He give, forgives us of our sins, and he protects us from the evil one. Remember how Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, ask the Lord to give you your daily bread and pray that you will not, you will not be led into temptation and that you'll be delivered from the evil one. And this is what we're promised in a right relationship with him. We don't need to be afraid. Now, there's a note here, though, in your outline. This does mean, however, that we are involved in a real spiritual battle. Now, the one thing this King Balak got right was, he said, if we can't defeat these people, the Egyptians couldn't. There were some other armies that had tried to stand up against Israel, and they couldn't because God was fighting for them. He said, There's gonna, there has to be, we've got to find a spiritual hitman. And so they went and found the most renowned prophet of the time, a guy by the name of Balaam, and asked him if he could do this. Ephesians 6, Paul says, look, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so often, this is completely dismissed in our culture. There is no God, there is no devil, there is no heaven, there is no hell. There's just what you see, and just our five senses, and taste, and touch, and smell, and hear. That's all you have. And that's not true. There is a spiritual realm And the adversary is very real. So are we to be crouching in fear from him? No, not as long as we're under the Lord's protection. I mean, the way the Bible talks about this is that the people of God were under the Lord's protection. Now I opened the umbrella and some of you are going, "Uh uh-oh, he's got bad luck coming. Okay, here we go. But But my point simply is this. This is the Lord. If I'm in the middle of God's protection, even when things come against me, I don't have to be afraid because the Lord is protecting me. Just like, it doesn't mean I'm not going to ever have problems in my life if I follow the Lord. If I carry an umbrella, it doesn't mean it's never going to rain. It's just not going to rain on me. And if I walk in the Lord's protection, even when I go through hard times, even if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because the Lord is with me. He's watching over me. If that brings you comfort this morning, would you say amen? Please understand this that even though somebody was hired to come put a curse on God's people, God said, no, they're under my protection. Balaam told him to go home. And so he did. The story starts out okay, but here's where it gets really interesting. Balak was persistent, and he wasn't about to give up. So Balak tried again. This is from Numbers 22. Then Balak tried again, and this time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he'd sent the first time. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers, look, even if Balak wanted to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I'd be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God, but stay here one more night, and I'll see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. And please underline that sentence, because this is going to start, this is the tipping point here. You start getting a glimpse of what really motivates Balaam. The Lord has told him, don't go with him. They come back, and he starts out okay, saying, hey, I can't say anything except the Lord wants, no matter how much you offer me. But... um, I don't mind asking again, see if the Lord maybe has changed his mind. Maybe I can go with him. So that night, God came to Balaam and told him, since these men have come to you, get up and go with them, but do only what I tell you. And so the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord 
stand in the road to block his way. This is one of these things. Balaam has a gift, and he can use it for God's glory, or he can use it for personal gain. He can use it in any way that he sees fit, and the Lord is reminding him that he, is, he has a very specific purpose for him. If you wonder, were there any other prophets in the Bible that were stubborn and didn't want to use the gift the right way? Yeah, the book of Jonah is a similar sort of thing. God had told the prophet Jonah to go and tell the people of the wicked city of Nineveh to repent or they'd be destroyed. Well, if you've never read Jonah before, Jonah was a prophet. He knew exactly what God wanted to say to these people. He went and got on a ship that was going the opposite way from Nineveh. He went, well, if God's going to destroy the people if they don't repent, I ain't going to tell them anything. I want them all destroyed. I hate those people. That's the story. And God had to send a terrible storm and have him swallowed by a fish and vomited back out on the beach before he finally went and did his job. This is another situation where somebody is, you'll see as we go through this, what really motivated this Balaam guy wasn't doing the Lord's will, it was making money from it. That's the note. God knew that Balaam had mixed motives. He didn't only obey as long as he could profit from it. And the Lord said, well, you go with him, but you say only what I tell you to say. But he was mad that he went with him. He, he's allowing him to use his gift. Like Balaam, Jude one eleven reminds us, Ungodly people deceive people for money. Now look, I, I hope I don't have to convince you that there are lots of people in our culture who make a lot of money by telling you that things in the Bible aren't true. There's a lot to be made to tell people you can live however you want. All those commandments in Scripture don't apply to you. We've outgrown that. Oh man, these are people that can make it big in seminars and in books and videos, all kinds of things. Paul even told Timothy this in 2 Timothy 4, Look, a time will be coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and look for teachers who tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth and chase after myths. He said, but you, Timothy, you preach the word in season and out of season. You stick to the truth. And you'll see as we go on that Balaam, he played fast and loose with the truth as long as he could make a buck. And there's another life application, another life application for you and me here, and that's this, that God knows the secret motivations of our hearts. See, God knew what was going on inside his heart. He knows what's going on inside of my heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable, Hebrews 4.13. Nothing is hidden from God. This is why it's so important that when we come to the Lord to be honest with him, a big part of the wedding ceremonies, the uh, wedding ceremony that I use when I'm married couples, and I go over with them every time, is that you're making vows, standing before God, before the secrets of all hearts are disclosed. God knows the secrets of my heart. He knows the secrets of your heart. And it does no good to put on airs with him. That's why we come to him, we confess our sins, we lay our hearts wide open. God, you know me. You've, you made me. Why am I going to try to hide anything from you? That's why it's so important to confess our sins and be honest, not play games. Balaam was playing games, and God knew it. He knew that he was going there, hoping there'd be some way he could still get the money. And so this is where it gets really interesting. This is where the talking donkey comes in. Well, Balaam's donkey, this is back to Numbers 22, he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road. Balaam didn't. He saw him standing with a drawn sword in his hand, and so the donkey bolted off the road into a field. But Balaam beat the donkey and turned it back on the road. And then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. 
And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by, and it crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. And then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. And this time, when the donkey saw the angel, it just laid down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. And then the Lord did something amazing here. He gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me these three times? It asked Balaam. You've made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. Now, never mind how it made him look to be arguing with a donkey. Okay, but anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, well, let me just stop here. This is a person blind with rage. He's so mad at this donkey. Ah, I mean, he's going on. He's yelling at him. You made me look like a fool. If I had a sword with me, I'd kill you. But I'm the same donkey you've ridden your whole life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. I mean, I think if like an animal was talking to me, I probably would just be freaking out. Okay, I don't know how that would happen to you, but I, I don't think I'd be arguing with it. But the point is, he's just blind with rage. And this tells you where his heart was too. And then the eyes of Balaam were opened. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. And Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why'd you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I've come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. And if you'd underline stubbornly resisting me, this is the secret of his heart. Balaam said, I'll go. Yeah, Lord, I'll say what you want to say. But this is flirting with temptation. This is just like, hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to watch all the movie. I'm just going to watch part of it. I know it's got some really dirty parts in it. I'm, I probably won't watch those. This is, hey, I know I shouldn't really pass this on to anybody, but if you ask me yes or no questions, hey, I, I know I need to forgive this person, and I might later, but not now, not in the foreseeable future. I mean, sometimes we're supposed to run from temptation, and we try to crawl away hoping it'll catch us. And this is the game Balaam's playing here. I mean, you'll see it gets clearer and clearer and clearer. He wants the money, and the Lord knows it. Why are you stubbornly, stubbornly resisting me? I told you not to go with these people, but you really wanted to go. Now, see, you'll see this is very clear here. Three times that donkey saw me and, sh and shied away. Otherwise, I certainly would have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed, confessed to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road, blocked my way. I'll return home if you're against my going. If you're against my going, the angel of the Lord is standing there with a sword drawn saying, if he hadn't stopped, I would have killed you. So are you saying you don't want me to go? Yes. But listen to what the Lord does. Since you are, sin on, since you are bent on this, here's what he says. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, now go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So Balaam went on with Balak's officials. God gives him one more warning. Sword drawn, you've got to picture this. The sword is drawn, pointed at his face, going, but you will say only what I tell you to say, not one syllable more. Are we clear? Crystal. Go. And so he went. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here. At that time, the donkey had more spiritual sensitivity than the corrupt prophet. I want you to know that at the time, the reason they went to Balaam, 
By the way, they traveled all the way from Moab up to the Euphrates River. This would have been hundreds of miles to go get this guy. He was renowned all over the region that this was some great prophet, some great amazing kind of magic man who could do amazing things. And if you're ever wondering, well, you know, and sometimes when I've talked about the story, people will tell me, yeah, but John, I mean, all that's just myth. I mean, there was no donkey. There was no person like Balaam. There's no archaeological evidence that Balaam ever existed. And I go, well, that's not correct. In uh, 1967, by the way, there was an excavation in a town in Jordan, uh, in western Jordan. The excavation revealed a, revealed a multiple chamber structure that on the, one of the walls was written a story about a great prophet. He was called a great seer who could communicate with the gods. His name was Balaam, son of Beor. And he'd have visions and trances at night and tell people what the gods were saying. It was destroyed in an earthquake and was buried. It's from 800 years before Jesus was born. They just found this building. But this had been the written record of some great prophet who had lived in the past. In case you're ever wondering, like people do all the time, they dismiss this stuff. There's nothing like this. There's no evidence. Like this is just a made-up story in the Bible. That's not true. Now, it doesn't prove that the donkey talked, obviously, but it does prove that this man existed. And he was well known. And this would have been like getting, if you need a defense attorney, you get the best defense attorney in America. This was, if you're going to get a, a guy to put a, a curse on somebody, you, Balaam's your guy. Call me, Palestine, or whatever you would have said. You know, I don't know what he would have said. Okay, anyway, um, some of you will get that and some of you won't. Anyway, uh, but the donkey had more spiritual sensitivity uh, than the corrupt prophet. Do you know this guy was so full of himself and his big reputation for being this mighty prophet and other things that he was just completely blinded to what God was doing in his life. And it took a donkey to make him come to his senses. On the opposite page in your outline at the bottom, you'll see a reference from 1 Corinthians 1.27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God loves to choose foolish things. And that's why none of us need to be afraid. Sometimes people are afraid. They go, I have a friend. He's making a terrible mistake, but and this friend of mine has such a better education than I do. Who am I to confront them? I got a relative, and I just think they're making an awful choice in some of the things, but you know, I've made bad choices in my life. They're not going to listen to me. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Well, Gideon was a coward, Rahab was a prostitute, Esther was an orphan, and Balaam's donkey was a donkey. And God used even a donkey. In fact, it was perfect to make this high and mighty prophet realize how blind he was, that a beast had more insight into spiritual things than he did. Now, one other life application here that comes from that is sometimes God protects us from our own foolish choices by rebuking us. Peter talks about this. He says, Balaam was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Do you know that God might send somebody in your life this week, or he might have sent somebody in the last two weeks or something like this to confront you, and you went, and it offends you and me. It offends us sometimes because somebody will stop us and say, hey, you need to rethink that. <laughs> who do you think you are talking to me? And even if we don't say it out loud, that's the way we feel. Oh, why are they saying anything? Well, if somebody has the right motives, and these are people who've been loyal to you, the donkey had been loyal to him his whole life, these are good friends, are people who love you, 
Maybe we don't need to dismiss that. Maybe God is sending someone to warn us when we are bent on pride and we are bent on selfishness and we're bent on doing something for the wrong motives. Hmm. Do you know when we're talking about protection, God will protect us from curses? Do you know that sometimes God will protect us from ourselves? In his great mercy, he'll send someone to rebuke us. Brings us to point three. Well, it worked because Balaam said only what the Lord told him to say. In fact, Balak had set up these elaborate, he set up three platforms where he offered all these sacrifices at three different places around the Israelite camp and took them from one place to the next to the next. And he, was, he said, I want you to curse them from here and curse them from here and curse them from there. Every time that Balaam stood up, the Lord put words in his mouth, gave him things to say, and every word that came out of his mouth was blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And so Balak was just, I mean, he was just incensed. Here's what it tells us in Numbers 24. King Balak flew into a rage against Balaam. He angrily clapped his hands and shouted, I called on you to curse my enemies. Instead, you blessed them three times. Now get out of here. Go back home. I promised to reward you richly, but the Lord has kept you from your reward. Get out of here. And so Balaam heads home. Well, at least for now. You'll see there's a little more to the story. But I want to make one more application here real quickly. God not only protects us, he blesses us. I mean, think about this again. When you come to the Lord, not only does he forgive us of our sins, promise, eternal, promise us eternal life, not only does he protect us from our enemies, but he blesses us when we obey him. I mean, this is what David was talking about in Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I mean, he said that even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, you're with me. He covered that. But he said, but not only that, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You bless my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there's going to be blessings forever and ever in heaven. God not only protects us, he blesses those who follow him. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Man, this guy has brought in a hired gun, a prophet who makes money, a prophet for profit. Should have worked that in the outline somewhere. Anyway, uh, but a guy who's trying to make a buck here, make a lot of money, and God says, no, you say only what I say. And so Balaam ends up blessing them. And if that was the end of the story, everything would have turned out well. But it's not. If you go to point four, Balaam was crafty. Remember, the Lord said, I know how stubborn your heart is. Did God read him wrong? Because here's what happened. He was crafty enough to get his money anyway by instructing Balak on how to tempt God's people to sin and bring God's punishment upon themselves. He couldn't curse God's people because they were under God's protection. But what if you could get God's people to walk out from under his protection? Oh, now that would work. See, God's people were in a covenant relationship with him. He was their God. They were his people. They didn't have anything to fear. He said, I'll protect you from every enemy. But if you turn away from me and you begin to worship other gods, well, then you become my enemy because I'm driving those people out in front of you. You've switched sides. 
And so Balaam apparently goes back to Balak and he says, now look, the Lord told me I couldn't prophesy anything except what he told me to say. Right. He didn't tell me that I couldn't tell you how to get God to punish them, how he himself would punish them if they switched sides. So here's all you need to do. You need to get the prettiest women you got, go tempt these guys to worship pagan idols, and get involved with their ritual prostitutes. That'll lead the people's hearts away from God, and then God himself will be their enemy. They will have voluntarily stepped out from under the umbrella. How do we know that happened? Revelation 2. Balaam showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. Here's how it happened. Numbers 25. You can see it's all the same people. These were all people from Moab, where Balak was king. While the Israelites were camped at the Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women sent there by King Balak. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods, and so the Israelites feasted and worshipped, feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. And in this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. And those who died in the plague that resulted from this numbered 24,000. Now, if you want something fun, write this in the margin, or something sobering would be a much better word. Balaam's name means devourer or glutton, someone who can never get enough. Baal means the local god or the local deity. It was how they described their gods. Peor means emptiness or wasteland. He was the god that overlooked the territory of the Dead Sea. The people walked away from the Lord and began to worship the God of emptiness because they were misled by the devourer who could never get enough. Mm. So life application here. We can be protected from false teachers by the truth of God's word. This is right out of the New Testament here. Again, I read you that Peter had talked about this. He talks about it here more in 2 Peter 2. There will be false teachers among you. They'll cleverly teach destructive heresies. They'll even deny the master who bought them. And in this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these false teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. They commit adultery with their eyes. Their desire for sin is never satisfied. Devourers. They lure unstable people into sin, into nothingness. And they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They've wandered off the right road and are following the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. Now look, there are many people who are going to tell you right now, you can go on the Internet and find all kinds of places that will tell you the Bible's not true, the Bible has no commandments that apply to us anymore. It's an outdated book, or they'll have all kinds of false arguments where if Jesus didn't talk about a specific subject, then the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Other things like this. It's, it's amazing how the truth gets twisted by people who make a lot of money. And they lead people to great pain and sorrow. And we walk out from under God's protection. 
We walk away. And we pierce ourselves, and Paul says we pierce ourselves with many griefs that God never wanted us to have to endure. So am I saying that if you follow the Lord, you'll never have any, pro- never have any problems in your life? No, I'm saying that even when we face problems, we'll still be under his protection. Just like when it's raining, it still rains, but if I'm under God's protection, it's not raining on me. I'll still have problems, but the Lord himself will be with me. So how do we protect ourselves from these false teachers? By knowing the truth. John 17. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying for his disciples the night before he was crucified. Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Jesus said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. God's left us in the world so we can be a light for him. Well, then how do we find protection? How do we know where the umbrella covering is? Through God's word. Your word is truth. This is why it's so important to us that we read the Bible. It's why it's so important every week you'll see these outlines. It's all just Bible verses. I don't care if you remember what I say. I care greatly that you and I understand what God says. That's why we want you in a small group where you can discuss and hold each other accountable to this. Because there are many people like Balaam who would lead us astray. But God is good. We don't have to fear curses or black cats or voodoo dolls or any of that stuff. The Lord protects us. The Lord may very well protect us from ourselves by sending somebody to confront us. And it may be somebody who might be the least likely. And we shouldn't be afraid if he wants to use us that way. The Lord not only protects us, he provides for us. And it's very important that we know the truth so we can stay in the middle of God's will. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that you protect us. You protect us with your word. You protect us by sending people into our lives to confront us and rebuke us when we need it. I thank you that we don't have to worry about hexes or broken mirrors or black cats or stepping on a crack in the sidewalk. Lord, we are not the people given to superstition. We are your children, and there is no weapon formed against us that will prosper. I pray, O God, that the truth of this would set us free from things that waste our time and energy and cause us needless worry. I pray, O Father, that we would stay in the middle of your will, and if there is anything we are intentionally doing, that we realize that you are the one who knows the secrets of our hearts. If there are things that we are intentionally doing that are sinful and wrong, I pray that we confess them right now. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Protect us. And God, forgive us for when we play games and see how close to the edge of the cliff we can get without falling off. That is stubborn and wrong, just like Balaam. Lord, if you can speak through a donkey, then you can speak through others. And sometimes, Lord, you might want to speak through me. Give us a hunger for your word, Lord, a desire to know the truth. Then we don't have to be afraid. Even when times are hard, you'll go with us. And Lord, eventually, you'll set a table before us. Pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.